Open up your Bibles this morning to the 119th Psalm. The longest Psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible. We're going to focus in on just a few verses. Verses 97 to 105 this morning. Psalms 119, 97 to 105. Got a little frog in my throat. You can probably tell it already, but lift me up in prayer as I lift you up in prayer. Because if it gets worse, I'm the one praying for you because you've got to listen to me. (laughs) Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. That last verse... Everybody that's been in Bible school for any period of time ought to recognize it, for that is indeed one of our pledges, our pledge to the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we, we value your word, for in it you speak to us. You share your insights, you share your thoughts as we meditate upon it. Our prayer is that your thoughts will become our thoughts. And as we listen to what you have to say, we will obey. And we will commit ourselves totally, completely to you. You first loved us. We desire to love you back. Help us to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Peter Lord defines meditation this way. Meditation is listening to God, is thinking his thoughts with him, is finding his will and viewpoint. Meditation is the discovering of truth. It is giving God a chance to speak. He goes on to say, meditation has to be experienced by a person seeking to know God. It is a process consciously and consistently repeated until it becomes a habit. And the habit of meditation is essential for Christian living. Two weeks ago, I shared some what I hope were helpful principles concerning meditation. I told you to spend a little time to review the past and then reflect upon God, upon his greatness, his goodness, his grace. Don't dwell on your problems. 
The third thing was to remember God's promises. And then the final thing was to register a response. To let him know that you heard what he was saying and that you're committing your life to be obedient to it. Last Sunday, I I shared what I said were requirements for meditation. And I don't mean those to be legalistic requirements, but they are some elements that are very helpful. You need to have a season of time that you set aside. And in that time, there needs to be a stillness about you. It needs to be in seclusion as much as possible from the cares of the world, from other people. There needs to be a time of silence where you're not doing all the talking. The element of self-control comes in. There is a discipline element there. You need to discipline yourself. And then there needs to be submission. A humility as you approach God. As you reflect upon his word and what he's trying to say to you. Today I want us to explore some of the rewards that you get when you meditate. These are things that you will discover if you will spend time with God in this way. Both praying and listening for him to speak to you. There will be a personal intimacy with God that will grow. Personal intimacy with God. In John 17, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure. And he prayed. The 22nd verse, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In a very real way, when we become aware of our oneness with God, as we will become aware of our oneness with God as we meditate upon him, as we read his word and see the unity that is there, We become aware of the unity that we have with him, the unity that we should have with one another. Jesus was concerned about that unity, and he prayed for it. One of the key things is that God doesn't want us to think of him as detached or distant from us. He wants us to think of him as somebody that is right there with us, that loves us, that is concerned about us, that has our welfare as his number one thought. And through the Holy Spirit, God lives intimately within the lives of each of his children. Each who has put their faith and their belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection. You put your faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes in to live. And we have an intimate relationship with him. He is embedded, if you will in the deepest core of our lives. And he desires to have fellowship with us so that he can pour out his life into ours. But he can't do that if we don't set aside time for him. If we don't prioritize time for him on a regular basis. If we don't spend time meditating, reflecting, and learning about him and his ways. 
Scriptures were never intended to be to be read for content alone. It's more than a bunch of stories. It is more than the history of the Israelites and the history of early Christianity. It's far more than that. Scriptures were written to be a springboard for getting us to know God more intimately, more closely in our lives. Someone has said, in the Bible we find love letters from God calling us to Him, a map to guide us into His presence, a recipe to help us recognize His purposes, clues to the ultimate treasure, God Himself. There's many valid ways of approaching Scripture. It does not matter what approach you take, whether you're looking at Scripture topically, whether you're looking at Scripture devotionally, whether you're looking at Scripture and reading it from one, one cover to the other cover. doesn't matter how you approach it. But avoid the danger of reading it just to analyze it, to scrutinize it. Read it with the desire to get to know God to get to know Him intimately and meaningfully, to get to know that He is involved and wants to be involved in your life. The second thing is that you develop a new perspective on life. A new perspective. When we meditate on the Lord, we begin to look at life a little bit differently. We look at it from a different perspective with different insights and different understanding as to what is going on. The things that worry us lose their grip upon us. Our viewpoint of others and ourselves, of our task and our problems and even our viewpoint of our enemies changes because we begin to see and look at them from God's viewpoint. We begin to see things from his perspective rather than ours. Our inward look at problems and situations is replaced by a heavenly view, a heavenly perspective. We learn that we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. Meditation brings us also into a position where we see ourselves in the light of God's truth. David in Psalms 36, 9 says, In your light we see light. There is something about having God shed His enlightenment on a subject that helps us to clearly see His truth, to see what's going on. Paul prayed concerning the Ephesians, but it is a prayer that I believe we can all embrace and we can pray for one another. But he was praying that they might be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. It's in Ephesians chapter 1 if you want to look at that prayer. But it's also what, what he was talking about in Psalm 119. Or, yeah, 119. He was talking about the results of meditation, that you get to know God and his way, and you have that insight, and all of that becomes a part of you as you meditate upon his word. A third one of the benefits is peace. His peace. 
Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When we meditate upon the Lord and spend time with Him on a regular basis, we discover that peace that Paul described as passing all understanding. It becomes ours. The pressures of life begin to dissipate when we are secluded and silent and still before him. It's like God is opening up the valve on a pressure cooker, the pressure cooker of our lives, and he's letting off the steam. And as he releases that steam, our anxieties are released. When we first begin to meditate, we discover a certain amount of frustration and we're tempted to give up, to quit. But if we will stay with it through the frustration, the longer we spend reflecting upon Him, reflecting upon His Word, focusing on our wonderful God, the tension in our lives dissipates. Biblical meditation, not emptying your mind of things. We don't need any empty-headed people. We're empty-headed enough. (laughs) But filling it with God's words and God's thoughts, something begins to happen in our spirits and our souls in our emotions, and even in our bodies. Physical tiredness is sometimes lessened. So many of us have formed the habit of sitting down for three or four hours of TV every night just trying to unwind from the events of the day. God can do that in a much shorter time if we would just focus our attention upon Him. Focusing your attention upon him will help you to go to sleep peacefully and relaxed despite the difficulties of the day. God substitutes his peace for the pressures of life. And a positive attitude replaces a negative one. We discover that we can't wait for the next morning to come about to see what God is going to do in our lives that next day. We look forward with anticipation instead of with dread. Christ is allowed to blossom, if you will, and to grow within us, to permeate our spirits. There is another element, purification. (laughs) As an expression of his love and his devotion toward us, God will sometimes put his finger on something within our lives that shouldn't be there. Initially, we don't like it. But it is the best thing that can happen to us. He wants to cleanse us because he loves us. He wants us to be filled with his joy, with his peace. 
But if we've got unconfessed sin in our lives, if we've got some habitual sin in our life, He's going to put His finger on it. And it might be painful. But if we'll deal with it, rather than run away from it, you see, we've got a choice to make at that point. We can either run away or we can continue to develop our relationship with Him. And when we're willing to, let, to sit before Him and to expose our hearts, something happens. He gets rid of that which is not clean. But if we rationalize our problems away, in the end, as He points them out, then we're going to spend less and less time with Him, less and less time meditating. We won't let Him love us. We're turning our back upon Him. If we don't want to spend time with him, it may be because he is dealing with some particular things in our lives that we simply don't want exposed, that we don't want to admit that are a part of us. And we're blocking his love from our lives. When two people live together intimately, and there's something wrong in their relationship. They don't really have to tell each other. They know something's wrong. Maybe they can't quite put their finger on it, but they know there's something wrong. Both know it. And the reality is when God brings something to our minds, the best thing we can do is to admit it, to confess it to him, and that means agreeing with him that it's wrong, and then repent of it. Turn our back on it. Turn in faith to him and ask him to help us to deal with it. Don't let anything interfere with your relationship with God. We all know that King David was far from perfect. His record as a murderer and an adulterer would eliminate him from any pulpit in America today. And yet he is known as a man after God's own heart. How could somebody guilty of such gross iniquity still, still receive God's blessing like that? How is it possible? I believe it was because he was zealous to confess and repent whenever God pinpointed sin in his life and convicted him of it, confronted him with it. Psalms 51 has been a, a soul-felt prayer of many a believer who, was, who has willingly and also sometimes blindly offended God. Ongoing purification is one of the chief attributes that made David, a man after God's own heart, rather than run from God, from God's searching, from his probing light, David humbled himself before the Lord. He confessed his transgressions. He asked God to cleanse him. Many a person has taken up the habit of reading one psalm a day. 30 psalms a month, 
the whole 150 psalms in a period of five months. If you read through the psalms, you see some that are just all praise. All praise to God. You find some psalms that are dwelling on what seems to be unfair in life. And yet, the recognition that God is in control. You see the ups and downs of the emotions of King David. They are so very potent. I know that Spurgeon spent a great deal of time in the Psalms. He preached and preached and preached the Psalms because they speak to our hearts. They speak to where we live and they focus ultimately their attention upon the Lord and His deliverance. Another result of spending time with God in meditation is that there is a passion for obedience that is developed. As we kneel before Him and He pours Himself into us, we turn ourselves over to Him in devotion to Him. He places within us that desire to be obedient, that passion for obedience. We want to obey Him. Nobody has to prod us. You don't have to have a preacher up here telling you what you need to do. We want to do it. We don't have to have sermons reminding us to obey Him. Obedience becomes a part of our inner being. We find ourselves saying, Yes, Lord, when He asks. To say, No, Lord, is a contradiction. How can you say no and Lord in the same sentence? He's not your Lord if you're saying no to him. We need to say yes. You can't call him Lord if you refuse to obey him. You might remember the story in Luke 5. After a night of unsuccessful fishing, Peter modeled for us what obedience to Jesus was all about. When Jesus told him to try again, and Peter answered him by saying, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you said so, I will let down the nets. It made absolutely no sense to him. He'd been a fisherman all his life. He knew it backwards and forwards. They'd been out all night long and hadn't caught anything. And yet Jesus said, put your nets in. And he just simply said, because you said so, we will do it. And what did they discover? A net full of fish. Abraham followed God's leading without knowing where it would take him. Hannah waited for God's perfect timing without knowing when. Mary expected a miracle without knowing how. Joseph trusted God's purpose without knowing why circumstances happened the way they did. Each of these individuals knew what it was to surrender their will to the will of God and to follow in obedience. And meditation helps us 
to get to that point where we're ready to surrender our will to his will and follow him in obedience. And then there is one other result that happens. Power. Power. We can be tired, weary, emotionally drained and distraught, but after spending time with God, we find that He injects within our bodies energy and power and strength, and God's spiritual dynamics are at work in our inner being, refreshing us and energizing our minds and our spirits. There is nothing that will match meditation in its impact upon our lives and will affect our lives and its impact upon others. My prayer is that soon, perhaps even today, you will begin to practice meditating upon God and His Word so that you can begin to know Him better. As Peter Lord wrote, no new truth can be generated in the midst of activity. New life springs from the placid pools of reflection. Quiet meditation and deep worship are a prerequisite if you are to receive my words and comprehend my thoughts. Some graces of the soul are gained in motion. Faith may be developed in action. Endurance in the midst of storms and turmoil. Courage may come in the front lines of battle. But wisdom and understanding and revelation unfold as dew forms on the petals of a rose in quietness. Did not Jesus learn from his Father through the silences of lonely nights on the mountain? Shall I not teach you likewise? Will you, my child, set aside for me these hours of lonely vigil that I may have the opportunity to minister to you. I leave you with that thought this morning. Let him have the opportunity to minister to you. Spend some time secluded, silent, before him. Father, I believe that you affected my voice this morning for the simple purpose of sharing this message in a different way, in a quieter way, in a way that perhaps conveys the idea that when we're quiet before you, so that you can get through to us, that you will indeed speak to us. You will impress your thoughts upon our thoughts. You will make your thoughts our thoughts. Our wills will be conformed to your will. We will have within us a passion to follow you, to be obedient to you, to serve you completely and fully with all of our lives, with all of our body, soul, and spirit, with all of our strength. 
Father, speak to us. In those quiet moments that we spend with you, help us to take your word with us throughout the day and impress it upon our hearts and our minds. (coughs) Conform our image to that of Jesus, our character to that of Jesus. Help us to be more like Him tomorrow than we are today. Closer to Him, closer to You than we were yesterday. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen.